read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to The Sixth Sense Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Honestly, man, I love it the more we, like, touch back to, like, super old episodes. Why? Like, well, just, I mean, we, we always had a goal of, of creating evergreen content, right? Like, we always intended to have a discussion that wasn't centered on, even though we would use a, a, a relevant topic or a, an article, you know, or more, I shouldn't say relevant, a, a time-sensitive topic or, or an article to launch our discussion, it wasn't the focus. We would always dig really into like the the substance of the issue in such a way that or at least this was our goal right to, to really dig in such that we could have a conversation that wasn't time sensitive that was green such that five years from now you can listen to it again and so you know to some extent as we build on in this case episode three um in some of the things we teased out there i think it's just demonstrating that we actually achieved that um, and maybe it's a small little piece of, okay, you did it a bit. Um, but still I like it. I think it, um, it also just demonstrates that the conversation needs to keep going on almost everything we've talked about, right. It's, it's, it needs to continue to be a conversation because these are ideas and, and, you know, ideas are what matter. And, and I think ideas are for a lot of people, something they don't tease out and don't think about much. They just apply the, the worldview or the ideas that they've adopted a lot of times um through you know community or culture without actually you know owning them so Mm -hmm. anyways Mm -hmm. i'm 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 excited for this conversation because i think um it's kind of a peculiar one at the same time with yeah 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 definitely definitely man so uh so asylum seekers come to canada and this is article is taken from um uh, city TV news. And so asylum seekers come to Canada for safety and a better life. But instead, a group of them ended up sleeping on the streets of the country's biggest city, Toronto. The Peter Street Shelter, uh, sorry, the Peter Street Shelter intake office was thrust into the national spotlight after the city dealing with an overwhelmed shelter system started to refer s- asylum seekers to federally run programs. But when people in need showed up to Peter Street, uh, the Peter Street site, they were met with long waits, forcing them to stay on the street out, out front for weeks with no other place to go. Community leaders have taken, um, taken matters into their own hands, helping more, um, more of them move, uh, move the household, uh, people, uh, moving the people um, into churches in the GTA. So um, this has been a, a, um, an issue that's been in the forefront, Joel. Um, what do you think of it? Ah, oh, man, I think I think it's another example of really big issues showing up in really small pockets, and we don't end up actually talking about the big issues, right? So like part of this issue and i don't i don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much 
But like, and I'll, I will touch on it a bit, probably near the end. But a part of this issue has to do with housing, right? Like, if if we had a abundance of housing, this this opportunity, this wouldn't even happen. Oh, you mean shelter? You mean shelter? Well, no, housing in general. Like, you're if you have a housing shortage, you're not going to have an abundance of shelters, right? If you have an abundance of housing, you can convert things to shelters out of your excess. Right. Like if you have act, if, again, my point is like we have a massive housing shortage in, in Canada. Um, and But this is a part of the issue that like, oh, let's throw money at the problem without recognizing that, like, this is a maybe 20 yeah. year culmination of other issues. Right. right. So we don't have a combination about those issues. We only have a conversation about like, let's call it the 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 current symptom. And and so. You know, okay. my point is just that there's so many layers to this, right? Like, it's, okay, but what about? But what was your initial reaction to seeing people sleeping on the street? Oh, like, man, like I, 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 it was unfathomable. Just in that, like, didn't we bring these people here on purpose? Was sort of the initial, right? Like, and again, I wasn't, and we're gonna get into like what's asylum versus not, right? But like, immigration in general, it's sort of like. My default response without thinking about it is like, how do we have immigrants on the street? Like, what, are we doing something wrong here? Like, you know, are we, you know, I've heard about, you know, Trudeau's got crazy uh, targets for immigration. Is that the cause? You know, and, and one of the thoughts that it wasn't my initial thought, it's more based on this conversation. One of the things that I see a lot in my, in the workplace, it's like, let's do more better. Or sorry, let's do less, better, and then worrying about adding to our plate. Right? So in the sense of immigration, it's like we have a housing shortage problem. Let's get our house in order before we start keep adding to that problem through immigration. Right? Now, I'm not saying we have no immigration, but what's the current sustainable level of immigration with our current housing trajectory? With our current, you know, other factors that play into let's call it the success of immigrants right in in theory as a simple example immigrants who are going to be staying in a house of somebody else's like someone else's house oh okay maybe that that gives me a reason to approve them because i don't have to i'm not going to hinder my housing problem right but if they're going to be in independent housing then how like that's going to make our housing issue more calm or or compound the problem. And so that's where, you know, for me, I'm like, why is this happening? It's like, well, this is the culmination of five years of bad decisions. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but that was sort of my initial response because I'm looking at it like immigration, people we brought here on purpose and now we put them on the streets. Right? Again, I was slightly ignorant perspective, but that was sort of my initial response without knowing all the details, without understanding, you know, Asylum versus refugee, which we'll get into. Um, what about you? What What did this make you think? Um, Being a black eye on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, I, you know, um, I was, you know, I, I, I've been kind of not watching the news. Um, it's a good call. I haven't been really watching too much, and uh, just scrolling every now and then, like I'll scroll and stuff will show up in your, in your feed. Um, I only heard rumblings about it, but um, I was very fortunate um, this summer 
to go to two Jays games um, one week and then the following week. And so where I park, I got to walk past um, Peter Street. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the first time I walk, I was walking past and I, was, I just looked to my left and I was just like, what the heck is going on over there? Um, and of course, you know, you know, and then I, I put two and two together and I realized, oh, wow, that's, that's where, um, um, some of these, um, immigrants have come, um, asylum seekers, um, have come and, and this is these guys, um, you know, sleeping on the street. And I guess for me now I'm thinking in my head and I watched after doing some research, uh, and hearing some of these people's issues, some of the people were like, well, actually my situation was better at home. And, and, and I talked to uh, Tyra about it. I was like, well, what if that was us? Like, what if that was me? What if, what if I, I, I packed up my carry on my backpack, um, and left home for a better living. And now I'm sleeping on the street for a month. Um, and it was just one of those things. I was like, man, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I would have to definitely, um, go into survival mode. I probably, I, I probably would have left. I probably would have left that, that setup. And oh, found try to try something different. I, I I wouldn't have. Um, I definitely wouldn't have camped out. I wouldn't have camped out. I would have. I would have uh, used my interpersonal skills. Um, you would have, you would have hustled hard. Eh? Oh man. Oh man. I oh no. I'd have been like nah, man. That's the, but, yeah, but yeah. that's just my personality. Um, I don't usually like to wait. I don't. I don't like to wait. I. I, I yeah, I don't like to wait for things. But anyways, <laughs> just go um, get it yeah, done so, yourself. Yeah, but you know what? I, I think one of the pressing issues that I heard are rumblings about was um why it's black people, it's Africans. Oh, right. People were like, Oh, so racism. Wait. Well, institutional <laughs> racism. Well, why 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 is it only African asylum seekers and not those people not people from the Ukraine? I don't, I don't see any people from the Ukraine on the street, right? And now, mind you, um, and, I, and I think this is a very important point to make. Um, traditionally, as Canadians, we've been we've done a really excellent job at um, welcoming, um, being being hospitable. I'll say that we've been very hospitable to immigrants when they come to the country. Um, housing, you know, we, we set them up, we take care of them. So, looking at this situation was just kind of like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are are we are we losing a step? Are we losing a step? Even though it wasn't a lot of people, it wasn't um, from what I've read, it wasn't thousands, but a but hundreds. But the problem is, why weren't we able to take care of the small amount of people? Which is a reflection of um, our system is is um, overran and overpacked. But to answer the question on the issue of um, um, systemic racism and, and why is it only African people on the street? Um, the issue was uh, making the distinction between, um, asylum seekers and, um, refugees. And so, um, yeah, we wouldn't we have had, had any or almost no refugees from Ukraine or sorry, asylum seekers from Ukraine. Right. Right. Um, so, so, um, um, we're going to be looking at, um, a statement from the press secretary, uh, Bahaz Dara Aziz, the office of the minister of immigration. Uh, refugees and citizenship of Canada. And so um, there was a statement made about this whole situation. So real quick, um, the asylum seekers, 
were um, at the, the African Im immigrants were were asylum seekers. They were fleeing something, and then um, the Ukraine, um, the Ukraine um, refugees, they were brought here, and they are um, the federal government. So I guess we're transitioning into the to the part about the difference between refugees and asylum seekers. So um, the idea is that refugees, um, what that means is that the government um, assisted refugees um, are eligible for 12 months of income support, as well as um, a range of immediate and essential services under the resettlement assistance program, which includes housing accommodations. So this is what um, the the people from Ukraine, the refugees from Ukraine were receiving. Um, and this is what refugees receive um, through Canadian support. So I would like to ask you, Joel. Any refugee. Pardon? <laughs> Any refugee. Yeah. When, you, when you're classified as a refugee. Yeah, so so Joel, um, I mean, and, and I guess this kind of threw me off because I didn't realize in detail what exactly was entailed in being a refugee and coming to Canada. But what do you think about 12 months of support and, um, you know, accommodations? Okay, so standard caveat that I would make is that I think if we did this through private means, it would be more efficient. But that's parking that. I think conceptually, you know, if a community is willing to accept refugees, you know, the context of a refugee as opposed to an immigrant being somebody who's essentially fleeing. Um, and the fleeing status generally imply, I would think, implies a lot of like, you're leaving everything behind. Right. And so as a refugee and you've gone through that channel, you've sort of demonstrated both you are a refugee in need of, of escaping your country for some level of persecution mm -hmm. or inability to survive. And so that is a, that context is important in the sense of like, okay, what level of humanitarian help is appropriate? And so I think something like support for a year, you know, let's sort of park how they do it. But but that concept of supporting somebody who's coming to your country for the for a year to get set up to get used to being here and start functioning, you know that that makes that makes sense to some some regard, right? Like again, under the refugee status. So if I look at our targets of of immigration, um, so I've got a link. Uh, where did I put it? The that talks about the total number of of immigrants. Coming here being, you know, essentially, I don't want to say insane, but but exceptionally high. It's called, Can the website's CanadaVisa.com. Um, Canada's goal for 2023 to 2025 is sort of what's highlighting this page that, that for the link I've got. Um, in 2023, the target would be 465,000 with only 76 of them, 76,000 being refugees. So just using it as a proportionality, right? We're talking not even 20% of, of immigrants that you're letting into the country that you're going to support, right? So I, I just want to contextualize like the volume of people that this is available to under, under refugee status is relatively low. Um, and I mean, technically speaking, you don't even see asylum seekers on this immigration list. So um, unless they're sort of bucketed under something else, um, I would think they probably fall under what's called the humanitarian other 
category. Again, I'm slightly speculation because it doesn't reference asylum in here. But based on what we know, based on episode three, what we talked about in, in the asylum process, I know it's a long time ago. Um, it makes sense to me that the number that asylum number is really low because it's generally like they're at the border, like they walked up to the border or they're in the country and they walked up to the consulate kind of thing and applied for asylum status. Mm-hmm. So this is the whole thing with the Roxham road, illegal border crossings, people who were given stat- refugee status in America, didn't want to be a refugee in America. They wanted to come to Canada. Then they would try to illegally come to Canada and claim asylum status instead of refugee. So all that, to say, you know, is 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 one year support for a subsect of our immigration um, a, sort of a reasonable thing? Again, not trying to look at how it's funded or where it comes from, but just conceptually, I think it makes sense. I think it's the, a humanitarian thing to do. I think if you are going to bring them, some level of support is appropriate. Let's call it a year of helping them might make sense. The question is, is that actually what happens? Right? Do they then go on some level of welfare for three, four, five years afterwards? To me, if that was the case, I would say this demonstrates a failure of the refugee process to integrate them into being a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Right? But you know, I'll, I'll slightly park that. But I mean, what about what about you? What do you think? Does that give you pause for concern that we're supporting people for that amount or that much? Um, a little bit. Uh, I think back, uh, like, you know, I have conversations with my grandparents um, on this issue and when they first came to the country and how, um, you know, they came um, for work, um, that there was work already available, right? So the work was already available and the housing issue for them, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but the housing issue was, um, well, they, they were able to uh, find places to live or there was family or friends or whatever the case may be. Um, but they had to rough it out. Um, and eventually set themselves up. And I remember even as a kid, um, no, did they come as immigrants? Sorry, just to, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, they would come, my grandparents would come and they had their kids back home, my 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 mom and my dad, and even for Tyra's family as well, right? The kids would stay back. Parents would come here, work, room with people, a lot of rooming with people, um, in order until you got your until you got on your feet. And then I remember as a little kid, um, my grandma, um, you know, um, she had a big house and um we used to have a lot of people come from Trinidad and Grenada and stay with us who just came to the country and who were just trying to get back on their feet. So, you know, our house was like a rooming house um, for, you know, people trying to get on their feet. And that's what I saw growing up, right? Just strangers, distant family, relatives, family, friends, people just coming in and out of the house um, trying to get on their feet. Um, and so I say all that to say that, um, I don't know. I, I, I it, 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 it looks kind of weird to me that um, we're, you know, we're inviting people to come um, and, and we're not being hospitable and being ready for them. And I'm sure like, you know, these are hardworking people that are coming here who want to get on their feet, um, but there's nothing here. Um, and all those people on, on, on the street, I'm assuming um, they didn't sleep on the street 
back where they're from. Um, and the people that do come here, they want to work. They want to be independent. They want to have a sense of dignity. They want to contribute. But there's nothing for them to do in the meantime. You know, and so it almost well, seems like this is this, this seems like this is now the process now where it's just like, okay, come here, uh, wait around for a couple of years until something happens. Well, it's funny. I just looked at the show notes page for episode three, and I have a video that we referenced. The, the quotation that I put for the title of the video was, I would be happy to cut grass. And I don't know if you remember this, but basically, and this was asylum, not refugee, but but still, this guy, the guy was asylum and they were waiting for money, but he's like, I can't even work because he didn't have a visa mm -hmm. to work because mm -hmm. he was asylum. Right. Right. And so like the, the whole point was like, this guy's like, I want to work, but I can't work. Yeah. And so, you know what this came out in 2017, you know, right. Six years ago when we were having the same conversation, similar, sorry, similar conversation, the same part piece was coming up that like the ability to become a productive member of society as quickly as possible. Right. Is seems to be a hindrance in this process. Right. Right. And, and it's something that you've harbored on before, um, throughout, throughout the years on the show about, um, you know, community, subsidiarity family friends um you know the c community no longer has incentive um uh, to step in and help people because the assumption is that the government will and so and so this is kind of like what we're seeing here where we're always throwing money at the situation because even after the, the 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 church in the in these grassroots communities came in to to to, to come and take these people off the streets um you know the government comes in and says okay boom we got 112 million. We're gonna, or sorry, 212 million dollars. We're gonna put towards this situation. Um, but just for the listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna read some part for um, about um, the asylum seekers, right? So housing and support, and this is um, um, a, a continuation from the statement um, from um, Behaz Dara Aziz, um, which who is the office of who's from the office of the Minister of Immigration. Um, and, and it says, uh, housing and uh, supports for asylum seekers are uh, the responsibility of provinces and municipalities. But we remain in constant communication with the city of Toronto and uh, and and the province of Ontario and how um, to best support um, these people. And so it goes on to say, in addition to the um, um, IHAP, and in response to uh, the higher volumes of asylum seekers, IRCC has also been working closely with the most um, impacted provinces. We are working closely with the province of Ontario and the city of Toronto as they look to implement permanent housing solutions. That's why we have invested $1.34 billion into partnerships with the city um, to renew and repair more than 58,000 affordable housing units um, managed by um, the Toronto Housing, um, Toronto Community Housing Corporation, and have committed over 290 million to tackle the homelessness um, in Toronto through Canada's homeless strategy and uh, municipalities to provide temporary housing. As of July 3rd, 2023, IRCC has 3,536 hotel rooms 
um, in six provinces to provide lodging to asylum uh, claimants. Now, um, that's a whole lot of money we're throwing around um, and, and, a, and a lot of big promises, especially the aspect about permanent housing um, solutions um, for, for this community. Um, like, again, it's very simple. Um, hard, you know, Canadians um, who work good jobs can't find permanent housing. So what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this goes back to sort of that quote I said at the beginning, like, do less better then grow right like we have a problem with providing housing for the people that are here and we just want to keep adding without resolving the problem right now in theory what i'm trying to get at is like oh maybe 400 500,000 a year isn't the right target until you fix your housing problem yeah maybe it's 150,000 but yo that but that makes no sense because yeah you have Canadians who make tons of money and still can't find a place to live. So how are you going to take people who have no money? That's like, it's, you know, and give hey, them a permanent hey, place to live. Hey, Joel, you're the math guy. I'm not the math guy, but the math ain't mathing. How, how, how is it? You know, you have Canadians who work good jobs, who have, who have money, um, who can get a loan, can't afford to get a home. No. And then you have people who just came to the country who have no money and you're working on trying to find them permanent housing come on man stop this yeah what about my permanent housing right is that what you're saying yeah, yeah <laughs> like... well yeah but but even that you know you're not resolving it so it's just one of those things just we're constantly throwing money at the issue um well, it's, it's the symptom of a greater issue that we throw yeah. the money at because we don't because tackling the greater issue doesn't really fit a politician's four-year life cycle no no it doesn't at all um yeah and um Man, it's it's wild. It's it's wild. Um, okay, so then um let's tackle the proposed uh solution. Right? So the proposed solution, um so he goes on to say, uh, we understand the urgent need for additional housing units. However, closing the door on the most uh, vulnerable newcomers is not the solution to solving Toronto's housing shortage. So as it relates to, you know, us being, um, having open borders, um, welcoming anybody and everybody, um, some Canadians would say, okay, you're like, yo, we need to, we need to slow down. Of course, you know, like the country's made up of 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 and immigrants were very diverse, but even the people who are here, I'm sure, I'm sure the people there are people who are here, who are immigrants are saying, well, okay, yes, yes, I love, I love my people from Jamaica, I love my people from the Sudan, I love my people from um, wherever in the world, but we need we need to slow down, um, and and slow down a lot. But I, but I think what, what the minister is saying is that, well, no, we're not going to slow down. That's one thing we're not going to do because diversity is, is our, our, is, our is, is, is our strength. And so um, we're going to welcome everybody. And, and I think the problem with that is this, and I understand the heart behind it, um, but we have to, we can't turn our brains off. Um, I believe in brain drain. 
right? Mm-hmm. I believe in brain drain. I believe in immigration that brings the best from these other countries into our country to contribute. Huh? I said that's selfish. <laughs> uh, as as I, as I was teaching my students, uh, self interest um, actually sometimes works to the benefit of others, um, if if the motivation is in the right place, um, well, right? If the incentives aren't perverted. Well, well, well. Again, is but again, but again, like, um, and we've talked about this before. Um, the more people you have, the more ideas you have exchanging, um, and the more um, ideas you have exchanging, the more creative creativity innovation happens um and, and then your, your society becomes more advanced and more prosperous so the more people the better but the more types of the right people hence why i say i believe in brain drain so we want to bring the people who 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 are actually contributors um, co- contributors and it's not even a simple you know but it's not I but said yourself sometimes it's not even sometimes but. it's not even the most um intellectual people but sometimes it's it's the hardest working people um and so forth but if 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 we're opening it to everybody and now we're not we're not filtering we don't have any kind of filter um it puts a strain on on our on our economy and I, and i don't think it's helpful yeah. but again the solution is definitely the point that the the minister is making is that we're not putting a cap on our immigration but we're hoping that the more people we that come into our country will actually make it better which i doubt especially yeah, I mean, especially if, if you're not being um critical about who's coming and and just to go back to my you know obviously i'm being a little bit ridiculous when i say you're being selfish but the idea is that we're taking the best from those countries which prevents them from getting better arguably it keeps what? them where they are be- where who because we take whichever countries we take the top talent from whoa 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 no 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 that's not we're not taking anybody they're they're forcing those people to leave, no, right? But, there's, but why there's is it called factors, brain drain? There's there's pull factors and there's push factors. Yes, we're saying, hey, you know, hey, come to Canada. We got the Raptors. We got Drake. Um, we also have a housing issue, right? Yeah. Those people there, they're sitting there, just like you know, at one point, your you know your grandparents, my grandparents, are sitting around. My grandparents are sitting in Jamaica, and it's hot. You know, they got coconut water. They got beaches. Beautiful weather, a lot of black people. And at one point, Leckford Samuels says, let's go to an igloo. <laughs> this this economy, he has foresight. And he says, this economy is not heading in the right direction. Um, I think I need to relocate and start over. Now, I didn't exist. My dad was a baby, but my, but my grandpa had the foresight to leave. He goes to England. England isn't what he thought it was. He goes to the doctor one day, sees a magazine on the table, and the magazine, he's reading it, and then there's an article about Montreal and how great it is and that there's jobs there. He read the article, and he says, by the end of the month, he was gone. And here I am, right? So the point is that these people that are leaving these countries have foresight. They have political and economic foresight to be like, you know what? This is my home country. I love the people here, but I got to leave. Yep. So there's that push factor. We have the pull factor. Um, yep. And it's their fault. It was their fault why their people are leaving and making their country weaker. Yeah. But- and, and this is where the smaller the number of, let's call it economic immigrants, the more you're 
appealing to the top talent. Are but Joel, are, but again, yes, are we getting the top talent? That's my issue. No, but but this is my point. As the number is a hundred thousand, in contrast to five hundred thousand, you're you're one. You're also weeding out for the top talent. Yeah, right. Like it, it's if I've if I've got a million applicants and a hundred thousand positions, chances are I'm gonna take the top. I'm, I'm gonna end up with almost all top talent. Mm-hmm. Right. But as I push that number up, 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 up in terms of the immigrants, I'm willing to accept the threshold of quality has to come down. Now, it might only be 2%. Not a big deal. If it's 50% in terms of quality, well, potentially I'm now letting in people are going to become here and become criminals because that's who they were in their previous country. They could just make it look like they're a good candidate. But when you're taking a really small number, the ability for a deceptive candidate to make its way through is impossible almost. Mm-hmm. Right? For, mm-hmm. for a criminal... Obviously, talking not a white collar criminal, um, blue collar criminal for horrible terminology. But, you know, the person who's going to, you know, steal from their neighbor because that's what they're doing in their home country is is not generally going to make it when you have a really low immigration level. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, even it's kind of crazy. And, and maybe this is just a weird takeaway, but. I noticed, um, you know, so I live in Brampton and I'm noticing like there's a lot more people begging at 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 the intersections <laughs> than they're used Damn to. It. Right. And I, you know, I used to think that was like, you know, remember, remember squeegee. That kids, was a Toronto was, thing, bro. Yeah. Remember, remember squeegee like, kids? Like that was a Toronto thing. Right. Yeah, and so then we made it illegal. Right. Right. And then and then so. so. But now, again, squeegee kids were in Toronto. They weren't in Brampton. They weren't in Missouri. Right. And that's my point. So now I'm, I'm coming to these intersections and, you know, there's people, um, yeah, that look like they just came here and they're, and they're begging and you're kind of like, whoa. Um, but, or, or, or again, it, it could be a hustle and they actually got a, uh, a nicer a place to live than I do. We, we, yeah, see you, you remember the videos. bag lady from, from Toronto? <laughs> Yeah, we've seen YouTube videos where people are begging, and then you follow them home, and they got a a, a three bedroom condo, uh, you know, with all with all the fixings. So who knows? But um, yeah, but again, um, um, I, I, yeah. Anyways, when, when when we get to my two cents, I'll 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 unpack that further. But um, as we're on the issue of solutions, how was um the the migrant or the the asylum um people um sleeping on the street? How was that issue resolved? Well, the issue was resolved through um, community organizations um, taking people off the streets, taking them to churches. So churches were accepting people, taking them off the streets, giving them a place to to sleep in shelter um, and, and get on their feet. Um, so, so that's how that section was cleared up and that problem was solved. And then after that, the government offered, um, they put some money um, towards fixing the problem. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is where I think, you know, it's kind of peculiar. It's like, oh, when we're in a dire crisis, we'll use the community to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that demonstrate that maybe part of the problem is the community's not really involved in the first yep. place? Yeah, well, 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 this is where Olivia Chow, um, you know, tweeted and suggested that uh, we should, um, <laughs> that Torontonians uh, should be uh, opening their condos um to uh some of um the asylum seekers yeah now as a christian i think i think um you know 
we're, we're, we're called to be hospitable and, and opening our doors to, to, to strangers. But, um, but then, but then you, but then I sent that message to you. What did you say? I don't know, but I, but right now I'm going, my six and four year old ain't going nowhere near no stranger. Like <laughs> not in my house. What, what did I say to you? Do you recall? Yeah, he's, he's, he said, uh, yeah, Olivia, you first. <laughs> yeah there you go right? right like you know and this is a constant politician thing right like oh here's what you guys should do right like here's yeah. here's how to solve the problem yeah yeah you actually know what this reminds me of not um the episode we did on um gentrification and nimbies yeah. uh not in my backyard not in my backyard so even it's funny because when i was when i was walking to the jays game um i was walking to the jays game and I was walking through first the time or second time. Um, the first the, both times, both times. Okay, so you saw people both times. I wasn't sure when you, yeah, no, no, both times. And actually, one of the times I, I saw a woman topless, and, and I was just like, What the at the like, like lineup for the shelter? Yeah, yeah, at just the randomly at, at the shelter. Just yeah, I was running around, but uh, hey, you know what? It's Toronto, so you kind of accept that. <laughs> it's Toronto, so you just allowed on shoulders. our beaches. Uh, I guess it's allowed on our streets. So, 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 so you shrug your shoulders and keep it moving. But, um, um, but you know, I, I thought about the people that live in the neighborhood or live across the street or spent a lot of money on these condos, and the the idea of being a NIMBY, not in my backyard, is you know you paid, um, you know you paid for your property um and you want your neighborhood to be a certain way and so you know you're looking outside your your home and you're seeing people sleeping on the street so i was kind of curious i was wondering like you know i wonder if any of those uh nimbies were kind of congregating and saying man we got to clean up this neighborhood or you know they see people coming in ah there goes the neighborhood <laughs> right so yeah yeah but yeah so um, it's unfortunate I mean, and this is where, like, you know, we talk about the solutions, right? Like, for me, one of the things, this is why I kept bringing up housing, right? Like, Sorry, is your two um, cents? Yeah, okay. Um, so, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I was talking about how, you know, there's a culmination of issues. And for me, the housing piece plays a role because, you know, there's a shortage of housing. It's a different type. It's a different function. But it's just another example showing up um, in 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 the GTA, let alone Canada as a whole. Um, but there's a there's an article. It's a little bit old. It's from 2022, but I think it's regarding the headline is Pierre Proviev could be Canada's next prime minister. Here's where he stands on housing. Now this is stories.com, which I think is, looks like a purely real estate article. So let's call it nonpartisan as opposed to informative in case he won. Here's what his policies are. So, I'll read the headlines because I think it sort of demonstrates the issue in Canada across the board. Reduce building permit fees and processing time is the one, which is a part of his agenda. Build more affordable transit-oriented communities. Increase density. Sell off underutilized federal buildings. He's recently made jokes about how he'll love to see people living in the CBC building after he defunds it. Um, fire Bank of Canada's governor and target inflation. So, I mean, I'm not saying these are all great options or these are all good things, but um, if you look at the re the first one to me is sort of the biggest, He this reduced building permit fees and processing time. As I understand it, Canada's like the worst in the 
you know, developed countries for building of houses. It's like two years time frame on an average to get something built. Um, and so it's just, it's just abysmal how bad we are. Uh, and there was one line that I've sort of heard from Pierre that I like conceptually something he, his argument is that, or his claim again, this is political speak. So I'll, I'll leave a bit of grace for the deception or, you know, political spin that's going on. But he made a comment about how, you know, federal funding is going to these municipalities, even though they're blocking, right? The federal infrastructure spending is supposed to support housing development. And so Pierre's argument is that we're funding communities that aren't actually even developing really, or they're, you know, making it harder to develop. And so one of his, you know, campaigning slogans is that we're going to build build in incentives to give people more money if they get more housing done and cut off the funding if they don't meet certain developmental targets. Now I'm not saying it's a great idea or these are going to it's going to work amazing, but really it's he's actually starting to go, "Hey, what are the incentives that like the municipal arguably you have a you know, greater political power with your lobbyist groups if you make things more difficult. So if I want to be lobbied more and I want more political, you know, pandering from a donor, I potentially want things to be more difficult because it allows or creates the opportunity for them to donate to my campaign. So I'll change the zoning laws or, you know, essentially help them in in, in the projects that they're working on. So I think this, you know, the housing issue in Canada is a prime example of something that's built up or or caused a bit of this issue. And I said early on, there's a multitude of issues. I was hinting at communities playing into it as we, we chatted with regards to how they solved the problem. But I look at it like, I don't know if this is true, not Mississauga or Toronto or GTA in general, but I can almost guarantee it is. The ability for a church to house people is basically illegal, right? So this solution was permitted by the government, Mm. but on a day-to-day perspective, it's not. And so how much is it that we've regulated or zoning laws in such a way that we've made it impossible for communities to help unless the government comes in and goes, okay, fine, we'll let you do it this time because we can't do it ourselves. It's similar to what you've seen with, you know, I think it's more so in the States, but like you have scenarios where a church is handing out free food and they get shut down for not following city ordinances. It's like we're providing food to the people in need, but because we don't have a commercial food providing permit, you're going to shut us down. And now again, I'm just sort of being a little bit ridiculous and calling it a food because I don't necessarily know what the reasons are, but go look on the internet. I can potentially put some stuff in the show notes page, but you'll see plenty of pastors getting arrested for feeding people because it didn't follow the city bylaws. And so I just look at this as another example of, you know, government being too heavy handed, too regulatory, whether it be zoning laws or other things um, that, that, that car a huge catalyst to this situation that occurred but we don't address them. We don't have conversations about those big ideas. We stick the conversation to, you know, as uh, Tom Wood says, the four by six allowable, a card of allowable opinions. Mm-hmm. So, and that's uh, why we try to set fire in one of our uh, 
pictures <laughs> to, to the newspaper <laughs> just demonstrating you know let's let's change the let's change the conversation <laughs> so darnell what's your two cents uh yeah so uh two points for my two cents first point is about subsidiarity um the catholic concept of um community church family taking care of uh, those in need being a sense of um, welfare and uh, refuge uh, for the stranger um and and like i said about when my grandparents came to the country um there was a lot of community and support um and my and my grandpa would even say sometimes the support that he was getting wasn't even from jamaicans but italians um, so, you know, immigrants helping out other immigrants, um, and, and taking initiative to help each other versus, um, because we're throwing all this, all this big money at, at the problem, we kind of feel like, okay, well, I don't have to house anybody. I pay taxes and a lot of it. So, so you go help them with my money type of thing. Um, and then, um, the second point is an economic point. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And what that means is that, um, yes, I'm going to offer you a sandwich, but who's going to pay for that bread? The mayo, honey mustard, lettuce, <laughs> smoked turkey, and some Gouda cheese. That's a good sandwich. I was just going to say, are you describing your daily lunch while you're teaching? <laughs> that's, a good, that's, a, that's a damn good sandwich, man. But it's free, but it's not free because somebody has to pay for it. So when we offer immigrants um, and, and asylum seekers a free lunch, the question is, um, who's going to pay for that? Right? Remember, the government only makes so much off of CBC and the CN Rail. <laughs> and then whenever they want to do extracurricular activities, um, that, that comes from our taxes. Right? Um, <laughs> oh, so... Good. It, it, it really worries me um, that um, the amount of money um, we're throwing at the issue and then we're not um, clearly setting up a standard or measure to find out if the program was, was actually successful, mm -hmm. right? To be like, okay, you know what? This is working. Let's keep doing it. Oh, this is not working. Let's stop doing it, right? So I'm not saying don't help anybody um, because like we saw, um, the church step in, community organizations organization step in. Um, we just don't have enough resources to 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 meet the demand, right? Right? Or or demand. the current methods are poorly spending resources, mm -hmm. and we're not reevaluating how do we do this differently? Yeah, right. And so we don't have, uh, you know, we can't meet the demand of all the um, people that are coming in with the resources that we have, and so. Ask yourself this, does it make sense that Canadians are the only ones trying to feed and house the world when we can't even feed and house ourselves? That's my two cents. Six cents makes change. But you heard me? Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.